all know what it is in some measure and in some way to turn from grace. But when we turn from grace, Father, we often turn to things that are good, such as laws and traditions. And before we know it, Father, we're deceived into thinking that we're saved by our goodness. This can be found nowhere else, Father, but more in your church than sometimes even in the world. Father, as we go through these passages of Scripture today, please open up to us the Gospel that Paul preached, the Gospel that we need to hear, and please deal, Father, with our our self-righteousness, we pray. Have mercy on me, fill me with your Holy Spirit and make it a clear message for all to hear and believe. In Jesus' name, Amen. I remember at the age of maybe four or five, my mum used to come into the bedroom before I would go to sleep at night and she would say, no matter what you have done, Jesus forgives you of your sins. It's interesting, I can remember that. I can also remember us changing churches and at about the age of 13 and 14 I wasn't allowed to play Monopoly because the rolling of a dice was described as being evil because they rolled a dice you know, to, to take Jesus' clothes. What, had, what happened to my family? What happened to the message? Somewhere in those years from 4 to 13, we went from grace to a cult, seriously legalism. And actually it was around that time that I got turned off from Christianity. We weren't allowed to do anything. And I saw God as really rigid, as really hard and there were even threats that if you did certain sins, you couldn't go to heaven. Sure enough, those certain sins that you couldn't do, I committed by the time I was 16. So where was I? Well, in my heart I I was doomed for hell. I really believed that. I, I, I had actually no desire to be saved and never thought of myself as ever being saved and yet we've got some young people here who are interested maybe in the gospel. What is it to be saved by grace through faith? The age of 24, it really hit me and I thought, why didn't I hear that when I was younger? Now maybe I did hear it when I was younger. I probably heard it when I heard my mum telling me that all my sins were forgiven no matter what I did. But isn't it interesting that the message of God's grace can somehow get distorted and we end up with what is called another gospel. And what's dangerous about that that other gospel is it doesn't get rid of Jesus altogether. It actually says, yeah, it's faith in Jesus plus not playing Monopoly. Sounds funny, doesn't it? Or it's faith in Jesus plus your tradition. Or it's faith in Jesus plus the things. Do you hear the plus? Well, let me tell you this morning, the Gospel is faith in Jesus equals everything. You should be able to remember that. If you can do maths at school. Faith in Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And you know what? I've been back in the church for a long time now and I see some of the hardest faces in church. What's to do with the hard face? 
See, how does your face become hard? Well, it's a sign of a hard heart, isn't it? And a friend of mine who is a Uniting Church pastor, he and I meet regularly to pray and talk. And he's quite upset. He's quite concerned. He's been in the church for a very long time. He's been brought up in the church. His father's a minister. And he said, Chris, I can't understand why the church breeds Pharisees. Why is the church a breeding ground for self-righteousness when we're a people saved by grace and then all of a sudden grace is thrown out for law? So why? Why is the church a breeding ground? Do you know what a breeding ground is? It's where something manifests. So quickly did this Gospel come to the Galatians And as quickly as it came to them, so quickly did they desert it. But what did they desert it for? Well, they deserted it for Jewish traditions and laws. Jesus, yes, Paul got it right. Paul came to you and he preached faith in Jesus, but he didn't tell you the whole story. These were the people who came to Galatia, they were called Judaizers or Jewish Christians. Paul is astonished that those who came to faith through his ministry have deserted a person. They've turned from a person crucified for their sins and they're not turning to the pub. They're not turning to gambling. They're not turning to overt sin. They're turning to religion. And Jesus is in that religion. A different kind of gospel, which is no gospel at all. But it's the perversion of the gospel that took place. How can someone pervert the gospel? Well, you can't really. But by perverting the message, it actually appeals to us. So part of the problem is with you and me. We love to be able to say something um, about me has got me right with God or something that I'm doing is actually improving my relationship with God. We like to say something about that. So when people come with a distorted gospel and they mix the message, it actually filters through to our ego. And that's what happened. The other thing was they were deeply influential. Have you ever met people with clout? They've kind of got this influence about them. They're kind of religiously heavy or maybe even somewhat, have somewhat of a status. Have you ever been, have you ever been personally influenced by somebody like that? Well, before I was a Christian, I grew up in, around people who were actually in the underworld, the criminal underworld. And there was clout there. There was intimidation there. But behind intimidation is great insecurity and great fear. But nonetheless, these people came and they had a religious clout and so they were robed up, not with Lutheran robes, but they were robed up. They had their big historical Bible And they turned up and they turned to Leviticus and they went to Exodus and they went to the Jewish Scriptures and they sat down with the people and they said, look guys, 
It's faith in Christ, but you're not a real Christian or you're not a real Lutheran until you get circumcised or until you start getting off that big pork that you're eating. Stop eating pork. So you're not a real Christian until you actually fulfil these laws, but you actually have to fulfil them perfectly to the rest, to the end of your life. So really, in the end, what you've got to do is you've got to live by these rules and then God will actually accept you through Jesus. Can you all relate to that? So imagine me coming along today and saying to your faith and to your conscience, it's really, really good that you believe that Jesus has saved you, but I believe that for you to be more right with God, you need to have a better prayer life. And if you have that better prayer life, I tell you the experiences you're going to have of God. Well, what happens the morning you can't pray? And what happens when the experience doesn't come? How are you going to feel? Condemned. So is it really faith in Christ plus your prayer life? No. But put anything there. And this morning I asked the 8 o'clock congregation, are you saved by your tradition? Do you know that if you're saved by your tradition, you don't need Jesus? And there's no person in tradition, is there? And the second thing I said was, if your tradition doesn't tell you that you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, then you've made something out of that tradition that shouldn't be there. Because the Lutheran tradition is grounded in God saving you by grace through faith. So if you're looking at something in your tradition that is saying, I'm right with good because of something I do, then you have something mixed in your faith that is not good, perverted. And it's been really helpful to come from outside the Lutheran church to come into such a great tradition and to see that everything points us away from ourselves. But how on earth we end up turning it back in on ourselves, I'll never know. But we do. How I take communion, how it's given, all these things are raised and then we have massive fights in the church over different things. Don't we? Or haven't we? Grace and peace from God our Father. Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing else but grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to free us, rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. God's grace, and you should be able to remember this one, God's grace releases you from guilt. Can you take that home? God's grace releases you from guilt. Grace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That word means not guilty. Just like that. Who wants to work a bit harder for that?
come on, I better work a bit harder to get to that place of not guilty. I better, I better put on my running shoes and get on the treadmill. No, grace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Like that. Not guilty. And peace. And what is peace? But grace established in the conscience. The grace of forgiveness in the conscience establishes peace just like that. And some of you are working hard to get to peace, aren't you? And I don't mean to peace college. But some of you are working hard to get to peace. How's it going? How do you get there? Can, can you really get to the God of peace by what you do? All of it comes as a free gift from God apart from what you do. And if I went up to you and I said to you, do you struggle with legalism and self-righteousness? I'm sure most of you would say, oh, maybe, yeah, I don't know. If I said, are you a person of joy? What would you say to me? Do you know that those in Galatia, Paul says, where is all your joy gone? Where is all your joy gone? See, when you're focused on yourself, it gets pretty ugly because there isn't much there to look at. Even if you are beautiful on the outside, there's not much to rejoice in. But imagine rejoicing in the grace and peace of the free gift of God the Father in the Lord Jesus Christ every day. Can you do that? Can you actually do that every day? Be good, wouldn't it? Just to, to rejoice in the grace and peace. And imagine if a church grew in grace. Imagine if we grew in grace and love for God and for one another. Man. Imagine if that was God's will. Just for a moment. That's actually God's will that you grow in grace and love for one another and for Him. Well, see, when Martin Luther got up and said these things, the Roman church wanted to kill him. They wanted to kill him. See, it goes completely against the religiousness of our flesh. So, no matter how often you have attended church, no matter how many prayers you've offered up, no matter what you've done, you can't earn something that's already been given to you. Can you imagine that God's given you all of this and you're trying to earn it? There's a word for that. Fool. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Here you are, complete in new, a complete new creation in Jesus Christ, grace and peace offered to you every moment of every part of your life and you're trying to earn it? What would you say to somebody? You'd have to say, oh foolish Galatians. Now here's the, here's the point of where the rubber hits the road. God's grace and peace through our Lord Jesus actually comes to us because we have done nothing but sin. That's where the separation of self-righteousness and Christian living comes. God's grace comes to you because you've done nothing else but sin. Now, when you hear that, what happens inside of you? There's something inside of you say, Oh, but, but I have, or 
God's grace and God's peace comes to you because you've done nothing but sin. There's only one reason on our side for grace and peace coming. That is sin. Who here thinks I'm scandalous in preaching this? Well, it is a scandalous message. And some of you may never receive it. Some of you may. Some of you may be liberated with great joy in hearing this. Some of you may be saying, there's a but there, but there's me, there's somewhere in there, there's me. When you mix faith in Christ plus your actions, you have lost the gospel. You've lost it. And rather than grace and peace and love and joy and gentleness and kindness and all the beautiful fruits of God, you get a hard self-righteous tradition and you're ensnared by the present evil age. And as Luther said, there's two sides to the devil. There's the black side and there's the white side. The black side's easy. You see them in the pubs. You see them doing their sin openly in witchcraft and the occult, the black side of the devil. Yeah, easy. But he said the devil, the, the side of the devil that I'm afraid of is the white one. The one who comes as an angel of light and actually starts to work that self-righteousness within me. So when Satan comes to the church, he often comes as an angel of light. And so the present evil age is the age, it's not the creational world, it's the age by which Satan holds people through the guilt of their sin, in the fear of death, and he rules through the ego of fallen man, especially the religious ego through works of the law. Now that present evil age is something that Christ himself and Christ alone frees us from and rescues us from. And that was a beautiful song that was chosen just before we sung. The words, you alone, you alone. They are famous, aren't they, in in Lutheran tradition? By Christ alone, by grace alone, by faith alone in Jesus Christ, you are rescued and delivered from this present evil age. And that's what Paul says. It is by Christ being given for our sins according to the will of God the Father that the rescue and the deliverance comes. Christ on the cross is crucified for our sins which means it's the place where God the Father actually does a work of atonement. Now, who thinks the word atonement is a big word? Atonement is a word that we might use when, we want to, when we've done something wrong, what do we try to do? Make up for it. Well, what God the Father does in Jesus Christ is he actually judges, atones our sin in Jesus Christ, pronouncing our sin upon him, pronouncing us guilty through his death and through his resurrection. We actually are now not only forgiven all of our sins in his sight, but we are actually accounted and robed with the righteousness of the king. And all of that that I am saying to you there is an action of God's will in Jesus Christ 
apart from you, but it includes you. And so what you hear in the gospel message this morning is that God has put you in right relationship with himself through Christ being given for your sins. That's what you hear. And when you hear that, you hear that God approves of you 100% of the time, all the time, and there's never a moment in time when he's looking upon you and he's actually pointing out guilt to you. That's, that's not what he is doing. And so the freedom comes when we actually trust that and believe what God has done. And we go, oh yeah, I've heard that before, that's easy. Really? Is it really that easy? You know, Luther said that, that justification by grace through faith is actually easy to believe sometimes, but when the devil attacks you and when you're under trial and when you're feeling your sin, he says it's one of the hardest things to believe. It's actually one of the hardest things to believe that right now this morning, God the Father smiles on you and says to you this morning in Jesus Christ, I am totally well pleased with you through my son. Now, how do you feel when God says to you, I am totally well pleased with you because of my son Jesus Christ? You can't feel it, can you? You actually have to trust it. And what what actually happens, and Noel Jew makes this comment in his commentary, is the gospel is not our feelings. It's not our feelings. The gospel is what God has done in Jesus Christ and not our subjective feelings. But when we believe it, we might actually find ourselves coming into what? Joy and peace. And a lot of us want the feelings apart from the faith or a lot of us want the feelings before the faith. So don't put the cart before the horse. Hear the gospel and Trust the gospel, trust God in Jesus Christ and everything else will look after itself. Is that good news? Is it a good order? So when I used to hear my mum at the age of four or five say to me, all your sins are forgiven no matter what you do, Jesus forgives all of your sins, I remember that and I remember just a sense of freedom there. But when at the age of 13 and 14 I was hearing that if I did this and I did that, I was going to be condemned, it it made God seem very harsh. Now, the one who does the work gets the glory. So, when you believe and trust and live in the forgiveness of sins, do you know you begin to glorify God? You actually glorify Him. Simply by living with a beautiful, clear conscience, trusting in Jesus Christ, God starts to be glorified in your life. Why? Because the work is his and who gets the glory? He does. When the work is ours, what are we trying to get? The glory. Let me finish by talking about freedom. We're not very good at freedom, brothers and sisters. I'm not very good at freedom. The freedom of the Christian life is to know that I cannot be any more right, righteous with God, any more loved by God the Father, 
any more approved by God the Father than what I already am now in Jesus Christ. That is the Christian freedom that I pray you will come to through these series of messages. Luther's understanding of freedom was simple. We accept the things that come from God. We reject the things that don't come from God. We say no to them. So if anyone or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one that we preach, says Paul, or if anyone preaches to you that salvation is not by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ, Paul says let that person be accursed. You want to take Paul on? Do you know what it is to be cursed? To be cursed is to be cut off from Christ. And anyone who preaches Christ plus another message is cut off from the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, don't you dare come into the holy of holies where the church dwells. Don't you dare tamper with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you come into my people and you start to distort their faith, then God's curse and judgment will come upon you. Anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one that you received, let him be accursed. And then he says this, am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? How many of you today have over the years been more concerned about the approval of your peers? How often do you leave church thinking, more about the relationships you've had with people, whether you've said the right thing, whether you've said the wrong thing. How often have you been consumed with what people are thinking of you? It's not very joyful, is it? What are we doing at that point? We're actually at that point saying, if I'm right, if I'm only right with that person, wouldn't it be good to actually leave church today saying, yep, I preached a message and in that message I'm sure there was sin in it? Because there has been. I'm sure that everything I've done today has some level of failure in it because it has. And many people heard and some rejected but I'm going to go home today justified and I'm going to live under the approval of God and I'm going to serve Jesus Christ. What a good way, what a free way to live. So check yourselves, brothers and sisters. Have you got a man-made gospel? Or have you got a God-centred, Christ-centred, Holy Spirit gospel? To live in and under the approval of God alone in Jesus Christ by faith means that we will now stand in opposition to the present evil age. You will be in a fierce contest. But you will be battling all the things that we have talked about today rather than being enslaved by them. You'll be freed from them. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen.